All right. If you would turn with me in your in your Bibles to Matthew 27. I know we had Luke 23 as our our Bible reading, and we will be discussing that as well. But um, as we go through today's message, I want to look through a segment of Matthew 27, which parallels, of course, Luke 23, as well as um, John has his version of the crucifixion and such. This year, we've been going through focusing on the Christ. We've been looking at the beginning of the year, at the shadow of Christ, looking at Christ from the Old Testament, and seeing how it was spoken of his coming, and that they shouldn't have been surprised when he came, though they were. And then we transitioned into the life of Christ, and as we have considered the life of Christ, we looked at his birth and his youth, and then his ministry, looking at the preparation, proclamation, power, parables, passion, pattern, and promises of his ministry. And then, um, two weeks ago, we looked at the entry into, um, the, um, into Jerusalem, and then last week, we looked at his arrest. Today, we want to look at the crucifixion of Christ, his crucifixion, and and as we go into this crucifixion of Christ, as we begin looking last week, we begin discussing the fact that there was a war going on, and we talked about the war between light and darkness, between, between God and, and Satan, and, and how that we begin to see that war intensify um, as we go into the arrest of Christ, and how Jesus said, he said, you know, he says, listen, I've been with you all this time in the temple, you haven't done anything, he says, but now you come out against me like you're coming out against a criminal, and then he says to him, he says, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. This is your hour of darkness, and this is your power of darkness. This is your, this is your moment. And now, as we look at that, and as we move into today's message, um, in today's segment, if you would, the, the reality is what we're going to see is we're going to see that that war begins to intensify even further. Because if you remember, what is the war all about? Remember when we, went, we looked at the book of Revelation last week as well? What was, what's the war actually all about? What, what is Satan opposed to? The redemption. The plan of God. God's redemption plan that was going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And so, we saw even from Re- Revelation that in the prophecy talking about what had, had already occurred, and that is the dragon and how the dragon was poised, positioned there at the woman when she was to give birth that he, so he could devour the child, but then when the child was born, he was swept away. Remember? Okay, and we talked about how that was even at the birth of Christ, and that, you know, as we sing, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the lie. The reality is that behind the scenes, if we could see the spiritual realm, it wasn't all still there in Bethlehem. There, were, there was a war going on in the spiritual realm, and those, that, that angelic host that we see on Christmas cards with the, you know, the, the, the playing the harps and with the wings and the, the nice. Uh, choir robes and you know and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't how it was. That that word for host in the Hebrew coming over into Greek is actually talking about a, an army host, a host of of soldiers. And so that God was sending battalions, brigades, whatever you want to, however you want to look at it, of angels to to Bethlehem because they knew what was going to happen. That there was going to be the frontal attack, and and that that Satan wanted to destroy the birth of Messiah. The the the, the birth of the, of, of the incarnation of God himself. And that if Satan could destroy that child, he could destroy the redemptive plan of God for all of eternity. And if he could do that, who wins? Satan does. And so he knows that's the only thing he can do. He has to destroy this child. Well, what happens? He doesn't succeed. In fact, he tries to work it out even after Bethlehem, even after the, the birth of Christ, 
working it out through Herod. Remember Herod the Great? Because Herod then comes back and decides to do what? Kill all the male children ages 2 and under, right? And so he goes to kill them all, thinking that he can destroy this one who is going to be born king of the Jews. Well, God had already swept him away into the land of Egypt. Okay? Kind of a, a neat thing, you know, how the, God is, uh, the word of God is consistent in its entirety. Okay? And so Satan failed in being able to succeed in his plan. Well, now we see what's starting to happen is now God's plan is starting to come to its apex. Okay? To the, to, to the most exciting. And, and what we're going to look at today, you know, when we look at the picture of Christ on the cross, almost looks like a, 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 um, a, a failure. This is the loss. But honestly, Christ on the cross is not the loss. It's the what? It's the victory. And sometimes we look at things totally backwards because we look at things through the eyes of the world and what man see, how man sees things. But before the foundations of the world were laid, we're told in Ephesians chapter 1, we were what? Chosen in Christ. Before the foundations of the world were laid, it was already planned that Christ was going to come and he was going to be the propitiation for your sins and my sins and for the sins of the whole world by being that perfect lamb, that sacrifice on the cross. Now what's exciting about that, and we're going to see the the fulfillment of it here, is that if it was before the foundations of the world were laid, then it was also before what? He ever created Adam. So he knew when he made you, he made me, he made our father, Adam, that our father was going to what? Fall. That man, given the choice, would always choose what? Yeah, choose ourselves. That's right. We'd choose apart from God. But God loved us in spite of us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that cool? how the, 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 the whole Word of God just kind of flows together with this redemptive plan. That's, and so now we look at that, which, you know, the, from the world's perspective, they would say, oh man, your leader was killed. We say, no, our leader wasn't killed. He what? He laid down his life as a sacrifice to pay for our sins so that we could have the ultimate victory. This is exciting stuff. But now, then, as we go into this, though, we're going to note that Satan begins to intensify the war. Okay? Because now he hasn't killed him on his own terms, now he's going to be killed on Jesus' terms, on God's terms, okay? There's a difference. Does it, do you understand? I mean, if Satan couldn't have done it before, he did it on his terms, and he wasn't the purpose sacrifice. But if Jesus is able to die on the cross without sin, then he becomes the perfect sacrifice. And all sin is atoned for. Do you get it? So you're Satan now. I hate to make you Satan, right? I should be the devil's advocate, right? But anyways, I'll make you guys Satan. Okay, it makes me feel better when you guys are Satan and I'm not. All right? If you were Satan, what do you know has to happen now in the next so many hours? No, no, no. What has to, if you're Satan, though, what has to happen in the next so many hours? What, what, what do you have to accomplish in the next so many hours? No, you don't have to keep him dead. That's going to come later. What are you going to do now? No, well, okay, destroy the work he's done, but he hasn't done it yet. What are you going to do to destroy the work he's plan- is about to do? Thank you, John. You've got to get him to sin. If you can get him to sin once, just 
once, he's no longer what? The perfect sacrifice. Now, we're made of a body, soul, and spirit. We're made in the image and likeness of God, right? We have a body just like the plants do and that kind of stuff. We have a soul just like animals do and we can communicate, but we are made different than all others that we have a spirit. We're made in the image and likeness of God. God breathed into us the ruach of life, the spirit of life, and so there we came in his image and likeness. And you know as well as I do, if you could parse each of those aspects of your life out, there are many times that you are tempted, tested, tried, persecuted in each one of those areas of life. There are times when you go through physical trials, yes? There are times when you go through emotional trials, and there are times when you go through spiritual trials. What we're going to see here, I believe, that Satan takes each one of those aspects of Christ and begins to attack him at every one of those, every one of those angles, okay? Just overload. I mean, the, I mean, you think about what's going on here. It's the overload, Okay, and I'm going to throw everything I have in my arsenal. It's kind of like at the end of the fireworks, and you have the the, the what are they called? the grand finale. Well, this is the grand finale from Satan at Jesus. Okay, and first, what we're going to see is we're going to look at the physical struggle that Jesus went through here. Most of us, you know, we read through this and we understand, and some of us have, have thought about it a little bit more. But a lot of times we try to ignore this, the physical struggle. Let's look at Matthew 27, beginning at verse 24. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, and that is prevail against the crowd, he keeps coming to the crowd saying, I find no sin in this. He's an innocent man. I'm Therefore, I'm just going to flog him and let him go. And the crowd says what? Crucify him. Crucify him. If you let him go, you're no friend of Caesar. Right? So when Pilate saw that he could no longer prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person you see to it and all the people answered and said to him his blood be on us and on our children could you imagine stating that wow what a phenomenal statement it has been over these years then he released barabbas to them and when he when he that is Pilate, had scourged jesus he delivered him to be crucified now what we see in this this onslaught of darkness here okay when when Satan is, is, is coming and bringing all of his forces against Jesus in the physical realm, okay, and that we're going to see that Jesus not only is being beaten by the Sanhedrin, okay, when he was with the Sanhedrin, and remember he was slapped because of a comment that he made to the high priest and all that kind of stuff, but now he's handed over to Pilate. And Pilate, we haven't read it here, but Pilate found out that he was from Galilee, and so he sent him over to Herod, you know, and while he's at Herod's, they mocked him and beat him up, Okay, and then they send him back to Pilate. So here he is at Pilate, and he's already being beaten up a little bit. Okay? But now when Pilate f- figures that he can't, he can't do anything else, he's kind of stuck here, then he wants to wash his hands of the whole thing. That worked, yeah. yeah. I mean, and we, we all like to do that sometimes. We all like to pretend like my hands are bound, it's not my fault. No, make the hard call. Pilate knew what the right thing was, right? He said, I'm handing this innocent person, you know, he's a just man. You know, and so what is he declaring? He's going to hand a just man over for what? Capital punishment. Okay, and not just capital punishment goes beyond, and we'll talk about the scourging and the crucifixion here in just a moment. But the fact is, so he can't wash his hands of it. He is the guy who's making the the determination to have him killed. What should he do? Release him, set him free. What would happen if he did? 
Not just riots. What else? Insurrection, rebellion, riots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're, you're, all those are true. Think from Pilate's perspective. What ultimately happens? He doesn't just lose his head. His job, he's going to lose his head. Okay? I mean, word's going to get back to Rome that, that he let this insurrectionist, quote-unquote, go. And the minute he let him go, what happened? Insurrection. And, and Rome's going to look on, on Pilate and say, Pilate, oh, well, we understand he was a just man, and so therefore you made the right decision. It's not going to happen that way. So Pilate makes a decision to what? Protect himself rather than doing the right thing. Be careful. Many of us, we like to pick on Pilate, but don't we do that? Even in the small things sometimes, we make a decision for us rather than God. And we've got to make the decision for God in doing what is right at all times. Now, in this physical, this physical onslaught, though, the first thing we see is the scourging, that he, he received this scourging. And the Roman scourging, you need to understand, was, was a, a, a device of torture that they would use on a prisoner a lot of times to extract information. They would, and I was going to put pictures up, but I decided not to do that, okay? So I'll let your imagination run for a while here, okay? Sometimes your imagination is worse than the picture, isn't it? Anyways, but they would take an individual and they would tie him up to a post. Sometimes they would make him naked, okay? Whether they, Christ was naked or whether they let him have the loincloth type thing on, I don't know. But they would, it's a matter of embarrassment, okay? And, it's, and so don't, don't try to make this nice just because it was Jesus. Okay? Jesus willingly went through this for you and for me. It's an amazing thing. And so he was tied to this post and left hanging by his arms. And then usually there would be a lictor on either side. Those are the guys that carried the flagellum, okay? the, the whip. And, and they would have in this flagellum, they would have um, leather thongs coming out. And at the end of the thongs, normally there was like little pieces of metal. Sometimes it could be stone, sometimes it could be bone. It's whatever they would have at that moment of making it. But usually they would have lead or some kind of a metal tied at the end of it, and, and some were, you know, three, three tongs, some had nine, some had, you know, just different sizes, whatever they had. But the idea was a whip that had multiple whips on it, pieces of leather, with some sharp thing at the very edge, okay? And one would stand on one side, and one would stand on the other, and if there was only one, then he would have to keep walking back and forth, and that would make him aggravated, and so therefore he'd even go to town further, right? But then they would just whack as hard as they can on the, the naked back, buttocks, and legs of of that prisoner. Again, normally it was a matter of extracting information. They're not seeking to extract information from Jesus. This is purely a matter of tenderizing him. Okay, and I don't mean that as tongue-in-cheek. Before he's going to be crucified. The idea here is that you're bringing him a breath shy of death so that when you go and place him on the cross, it doesn't take long. And so as he's whipped, according to Jewish custom, they were only allowed to give him up to 39, not to exceed 40. There is some debate whether that was exceeded in Jesus' case. I don't know. And I'm not going to tell you that it definitely was. But still, think 39 times of being whipped with this leather and these sharp instruments. The goal of it was to rip open the flesh of the individual, to flay them open. It was to bring pain. It wasn't mom and dad taking a, a, an instrument, a rod, over the buttocks as merely to, to bring minimal amount of pain to bring about correction. This was to bring torture. 
Do you understand? This was not to be done in love. This was to be done in, in anger. And so Jesus then would receive this scourging. And then, as a part of the scourging, we, we read elsewhere as well that he was also then mocked. They placed on him a what? A crown of thorns. Not the little bitty rosebud thorns, but the big thorns. And then they pressed it on his head such that blood would begin to drip down from his head. And then they placed a robe upon him, and they what? Placed a reed in his hand, and they, they mocked him. They mocked him. Now think about if you were the one who were just flogged 39 times, your back is ripped open, you've got blood pouring down your back, you've now got this crown of thorns placed on your head, you've got blood coming down here, and they place and drape a robe over you. And then they take it off. What do you think happens there? Pulls at the skin. This was not a pleasant moment, and I don't mean to overly dramatize it, but I think we all need to understand the extent of what Christ went through in his love for you and I. But we need to understand the other side of it. By his stripes we're healed. But the other side is the war side of it. Why do you think Satan wants him to go through the the Roman scourging? To get him to sin. Listen, this isn't pleasant. Balthasar Hubmeyer was a man who, who lived during the, um, the days of the Reformation period. Okay? And if I ask some of the teenagers who were there on Wednesday night, I'm looking for any of the teenagers who were there on Wednesday night. I don't see any of them. Huh? We went through Balthasar Hubmeyer. Is Chris here? Do you remember who Balthasar Hubmeyer is, Chris? Who was he? Good. He was a guy who, he, he was a proclaimer of, of Jesus Christ. He was an evangelist. And, and he was arrested, I think, by the Catholic Church. But they, I'm, don't quote me on that. It could have been Melanchthon and the Lutheran Church who did it. But I think he was by the Catholic Church. And he was placed on the rack. Now, you understand what the rack is. The rack is the, because they need better basketball players who are taller. And so they try to stretch your arms and legs. And honestly, the, the ultimate goal was to rip them out of their socket, just to rip them out. Okay? And again, the idea of that was torture. So to extract from you a confession. Okay? So Balthazar Hummeyer is placed upon this rack, and, and he denies, de- denies the gospel. You know? And so they release him and let him go. Well, he what? He recants from his recantation, and he begins to preach the gospel again. And so he's arrested again, and they place back on the rack. And what does he do? He recants again, doesn't he? And they let him go again. And he goes out, and he preaches the gospel again. And so again, they arrest him, they place him on the rack, and this time, he dies. This time he says... How can I continue to deny he who has never denied me? We can go through the same painful struggles. Daniel, if you don't mind me picking on you, you have a pain that I can't see. I have no clue of the pain that he goes through. Some of you have those kinds of pains as well. And I remember Paul having a physical ailment, and Paul said to to God three times what? Remove it. And what did God tell him? No. My grace is sufficient. My grace. There's a power in grace that, that we fail to recognize, but that Jesus got. 
And somehow when he is there being struck with the flagellum over and over and over again, he holds. He holds fast to the work and to the testimony that God the Father had given unto him. Well, then the second thing that happens is he goes through the crucifixion. And the crucifixion was, according to the scourgings, was no piece of cake either. Because now, if you remember the, 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 um, the thieves on either side of them, they weren't necessarily scourged. Okay? So at the end of the crucifixion, do you remember they come back and they have their legs broken so that they can die? But when they come to Jesus, they don't have to do that because he's already, he's already died. Okay? And that's because of the scourging had, had brought him to that point. But as Jesus then is, is to be crucified, okay? And understand the, the Roman crucifixion, whether it was with the, the titulus on the top, okay, the little the top part of the T that we picture as a cross, or whether it was a, just a straight T, okay? You know, people debate that. It really doesn't matter. I think it had the titulus because I think it was the four horns of the altar in fulfillment of the Old Testament um, sacrifices, okay? But regardless at this moment, I'm not preaching on the sacrifice, um, fulfillment of the sin sacrifice, that the... the the person on that cross would be laid down flat on that cross, okay, on that wooden beam, that, 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 and, and then they would be nailed, their, their hands, each one, and, and it's not through the hands, a lot of times we think through the hands, but actually it would go right here through the wrist, okay, because that's where your bones are at, okay, and they would come on the inside of the bone so that when, when the hanging was happening, you would be hanging from your hands, make, make sense? Because if you were here, it would rip right out, and you'd rip out, and they don't want that to happen, so they come right through the wrist. Also, there's a good opportunity that as they, they place that spike through here, that they could hit what? Your main artery, okay? That, that wouldn't, from their perspective, that's not a bad thing, because that makes you bleed more and you die sooner, okay? So, but now you're, you're, you're hung by that, and then they place it through your feet, okay? Through, the, through the, the top part, so that, again, so that you're not able to rip out the, the um, through the bones and and rip it out, and so you've got this spike going through your feet, and you're hanging there. Now, the problem is that you can't hold yourself up. You begin to do what? Sink. And that begins to have this compression upon your lungs, which begins to asphyxiate you, okay? You begin to asphyxiate yourself. And so you then begin to try to push up on your feet so that you can stand upright, but all that does is put pain upon your feet. And now you've got this excruciating pain on tearing apart your bones and your flesh on your feet. And so you give in to that to take the pressure off of your feet, but all that does is begin the asphyxiation process again. A Roman crucifixion was a piece of torture. I know people talk about our capital punishment today, but you know, we capital punishment today is very humane. They need to go back in the, in the past and look at how countries performed capital punishment in the past. It wasn't a very pleasant thing. And in the spite of all of this, my Lord would not give up. And as we're going to see through the emotional, when he says, Father, forgive them, I mean, he holds... He holds fast to the, to the testimony that he has. To the work that he has sent to do. And I am challenged in and of myself at how strong 
of a physical attack do I need to have against me to stop me from doing that which God has called me to do? Is it a sniffle? Is, is, it, is it just a, just a little cough? Just a little, maybe, maybe allergies. You know, over this past month, you guys know, I mean, you know, two weeks ago I preached without a voice. I mean, is it, is it just an allergy that's going to hold me down? Well, you know, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't serve the Lord right now. I can't have my time with Him. I can't witness to somebody because I just feel drained physically. Shame on you. Aren't you glad that when the flagellum showed up, Jesus didn't say, wait a second. Aren't you glad that in the garden, we talked about that last week, before he was arrested and as he was praying, and he said to the Father, he said, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it. But nevertheless, not my desires, my will, but your desires and will be done. He knew what he was going to get into. He knew the physical pain, but he walked into that pain because he loved you and me. Because your needs, your desires were greater than his. That's a pretty awesome thing. So what about us? How much physical pain are we willing to go through in order to minister to somebody else? Or how much physical inconvenience is able to keep us from doing what God has called us to do? Let's move on. Because it wasn't just a physical struggle, there was also this emotional struggle. And as we saw um, in Matthew 27, we're going to continue picking it up here in verse 39, that as he's placed on the cross, now that, you know, it, it continues, this, this, this battle against him continues on. And beginning in verse 39, we read, And those who passed by, that is, he's hanging on the cross, and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroyed the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. First of all, he was reviled by the passerbys, the, the people, the people who are just passing by. This isn't the, the leadership, okay? We're going to get there in a moment. These are just the common folk who happen to walk by. Now they're looking up at he who has performed all these great miracles. Could you imagine? The things that these people had seen? The things that these people had heard that this man was able to accomplish? And looking up at him? Ha! Look at you, big guy. You was big and bad, wasn't you, huh? Yeah, you can calm the storms. Okay, big guy, you who can save others, come down and save yourself. You think you can destroy the temple and raise it up in three days? Come on, we're watching. Come on, buddy, you can do it. If I was Jesus, I, I think I could put up with the physical struggles. I, I mean, I, I think I can have within me to do that. But right now, at this moment, I'd be zapping lightning out of the, out of the skies. I, I, you don't get it. I'm staying up here, but I'm not staying up here for you anymore. Boom, boom. You missed it. You had the opportunity, but you're gone. Hey, I'll meet you in a few moments. <laughs> I'll be on the other side, the guy in the, you know, the big white throne. <laughs> Just remember. Um, look at the face. You'll see it again. Anyways, that's, that's, that's what I would But Jesus doesn't. He accepts it. He just, he's soaking it in. I, I just, it's a phenomenal. And it doesn't stop here. It just gets worse. And so now we continue on. 
And it says, likewise, verse 41, likewise the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and the elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is truly the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Wow, think about the testimony that these chief priests and scribes are already declaring. They knew everything he did. They knew, I mean, they knew he raised Lazarus from the dead. Go figure that one. How many other guys did you know raised somebody from the dead? I mean, he, he, he touched the buyer of the, of the son of the widow of Nain. And he raised from the dead. He went into Jairus' daughter and said, Tabitha, come on, and she rose from the dead. Go ahead, Daniel, sorry. He trusted in God. Yes, that's I was going to go. It's exactly right. They know everything about him. In fact, they're the ones who came to him and said, "Teacher, we know that you are true, and that you don't say, you know, that you're not a respecter of people." I mean, these are the guys who understood his ministry and his integrity. And these are the same guys who are gloating now because they think what they won. They think they've won. They think they've got this usurper up on the cross. Usurper, I say. He's not really a usurper. They're seeking to be the usurpers, but they don't get it. They think he's the usurper because they think that he's seeking to take what? Their plower, their authority, their place. That's exactly right. And all they're worrying about is not the plan of God, the plan of God's redemption being fulfilled as it was prophesied by by the prophets, but rather what they're looking at is they want to keep their position, their power, and their authority. Again, I struggle with that sometimes. And, you know, judge not lest you be judging with what judgment you judge others if you should measure it under you and press down in full. And so as we sit there and we can judge these guys and say, good grief, what, what, put yourself in their shoes. What would you do? Are you willing to lose a little position, a little power, a little authority to give God the glory? Or will you hold on tenaciously to the position, power, and authority, regardless of the cost. Jesus seemingly, and he did, not just, I don't mean it's just seemingly, but willingly placed himself into the hands of these mockers so that he could glorify God and redeem us. It's just an amazing thing. Well, then it just continues on. Now, I mean, it gets even worse because now, verse 44, we read, Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him the same thing. Now, we know from reading Luke 23 that one of the the robbers finally what? Repents. I I know I could preach a whole message on this one, okay, you know, and and I don't want to do it, but just I can't stop from... This is, what an incredible moment. You got these two guys either side, and they're dying because they they, they they were guilty. They were sinners. I mean, it was there, right? Okay? And so they begin to revile him. But then all of a sudden, here's the key, okay? Again, behind the scenes, you don't see it, I don't see it, but we know from what we talked about in Sunday school, the Holy Spirit is who? He's the one who convicts the world of righteousness, judgment, and sin, right? And so behind the scenes, what's going on is the spiritual war, not just over Jesus Christ, but over these guys' souls. They're getting ready to die, too. They're getting ready to go to judgment. This is an exciting moment. And so they both prove themselves to be what? Sinners. They both begin to revile the, the, the Messiah who's dying for them. But behind the scenes, the Holy Spirit is convicting them. 
One of them responds to the conviction and the other one doesn't. Do you get it? And be, when, when all of a sudden, he's, he's in there mouthing off, he hears you know, the, the people passing by and they're reviling Christ and then there's the, the chief priests and, and the scribes and they're scorning him. And so the, they just kind of join in. You know, it's kind of the mob mentality. You know, you know how it happens, right? And so this mob mentality happens. But all of a sudden, this proven, convicted sinner is convicted in his spirit by the Holy Spirit of God of who he is and who that guy next to him is. And you know what he does? He changes the way he thinks. He repents. And in this moment, he turns to the Lord and says, or first he turns to the other prisoner and says, dude, we got it all wrong. I mean, what are we doing here? We shouldn't be mocking him. I mean, he's innocent. He's dying for something, and and we deserve it, and he doesn't. And then he turns to Jesus. What a profound moment. I wish I had 45 minutes to an hour to talk just on this. He says, Lord, remember me when you get into your, your kingdom. Now, I know he was supposed to say, I state your name to solemnly swear that I'm a sinner and that I realize that you've sent Jesus Christ to die for my sins and I believe and I accept in that and I, and I, and I promise to live for you the rest of my life, so help me God. You know, I mean, da-da-da-da-da. He didn't say the proper sinner's prayer. You know, he didn't have the track there to read off the back of it, okay? What does he say? He says, God, save me. He says, I know who you are. He didn't say all this, but I know who you are. I know where you're going, and I want to serve you, even with the five seconds I got left. Isn't that cool stuff? We're talking about the, not only the 11th hour, this is talking about the 11th hour, 59th minute. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that awesome stuff? And Jesus turns to him and says, Today, not when you wake up in oblivion, you know, or whenever, today, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And all this debate over where does Jesus go when he dies and when he's in the grave and, you know, did he go into hell for three days and where was he at? Jesus says to him what? Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, I don't think he said, listen, we're going to, we're going to take a tour, we're going to go through hell first and then we're going to come back out and we're going. He says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, that's a term for the Jews and again, I don't have time to get into that. But what an exciting moment that here is Jesus. He just was flogged. He's at the point of death. He's hanging there, asphyxiating, has great pain in his, ar- in, his, in his arms and in his legs, right? In his head because of the crown of thorns. I mean, all this is going on and he's being abused um, physically already, emotionally now with these people mocking him. And again, you should be glad that he's not Bob because, I mean, these guys are all wiped out, you know? And and he has enough splanknon, compassion, to look at this guy. And instead of saying, well, you mock me? And then turn around and think, I'm just going to say, okay, fine, you can be with me. Isn't that what you do? So what happened, big guy? Huh? You think you're big bad on that cross there by yourself? You, I mean, you sit there and you're laughing at me. But now it's going to change your tone. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus turns to him because he knows his heart. You get it? Yes. Jesus is rejoicing. The angels are rejoicing. I mean, in the midst of this war, think about it. In the midst of this, I mean, you know, like last week I was talking about the nuclear bombs coming and boom, boom, the swords are clashing. And all this is going on behind the scenes, this big war. All of a sudden, this guy gets saved, the trumpet goes up, and all the angels what? Rah! 
Ah! Could you imagine the host of, of Satan at that moment? What happened? What happened? What do you mean they had a victory in the middle of this thing? You know? And the guy gets saved on the cross, 11th hour, 59th minute. What an exciting moment. Anyways, I'm sorry. And now I'm just glad I have a voice. This isn't two weeks ago where I'm screaming and I have no voice to scream with. But anyways, but, but he you know, goes through all this and he conquers. He conquers. And we read in Luke 23, verse 34, that when all this was going on, Jesus looks down and he says what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we read in 1 John chapter 2 that he's not only the propitiation for our sins, he's also the propitiation for the sins of even those who were mocking him at that moment. Isn't that something? While we were yet sinners, while we were standing at the feet mocking our Savior, he loved us. Now, I don't know about you, but I lived a life on the other side of the tracks before I got saved. And I wonder many times who I would have been on that day. Would I have been one of the passerbys? Would I have been one of the scribes? More than likely, honestly, I'd be one of the guys on the crosses. I'd be one of those criminals. And then the next question you start to ask yourself is what? Which one? Wow. I'd, I'd love to think that I'm the guy who responds to the, to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Our God and our Savior loves us that much. But again, it doesn't end there. Oh, I forgot to do my little points here. Sorry, you got it. They're all underlined for you, too. If you didn't get them, they're all there for you. But finally, there's this spiritual struggle that went on as well. This spiritual struggle that's going on because, again, it's behind the scenes. And we, and we don't see it. We, we see the beating. We see the, we see the mocking. But, again, behind the scenes, in this spiritual realm, which is actually reality, and this is you know, not necessarily reality. We'll get to reality in, you know, whenever we go through the portal of death or Jesus comes and takes us to be with him. But behind the scenes to us, in that spiritual realm, there was another thing going on. Because on this cross isn't just a guy bleeding and dying and exhibiting great love for mankind. But on this cross, you've got the eternal Lamb of God offering up a perfect sacrifice so that he could pay your penalty and my penalty for sin by imputing our sin to himself and his righteousness to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 you know the verse as well as I do. He says, For he, that is God, the Father, made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That God the Father took God the Son and didn't just take the sin and put it in a basket on his head so that it was gone. But, Again, not doing all the sin sacrifice stuff here, but just a picture of it. That when a person, can I pick on you for a second, Corinne? Can I have you be the lamb? That when a sinner, Old Testament, came and they placed their hands upon that sacrifice, what was happening was a transfer, not of guilt, but of the sin to that object. And when that object then was slayed, 
and offered on the, sacri- on, on the altar, what was actually happening was the sin was abolished. The sin itself was destroyed. Do you get it? And so what, what we're told by Paul to the, in his letter to the second letter epistle to the Corinthians is that, that God the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin. Not just to take the guilt of the sin, but Jesus became, at that moment, adultery. Jesus became idolatry. Jesus became witchcraft. Jesus became lies and deceit. I, I don't think we, we think about that and, and get that thing. What do you know is not allowed in the presence of, of, of God? He is what? Holy, holy, holy. And in this one moment of eternity, I, I, I don't know how long it was, was it just like, you know, we're just missing vapor. And so what is that in eternity? I don't know. But for at least one of eternity, okay, he who was holy, 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 willingly became ugly, ugly, ugly. Sin, sin, sin. So that when he died, when he offered that ultimate sacrifice, that your sin and my sin, literally Romans chapter 6, would be done away with. Gone. Totally gone. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the... the um, the power of death is the law, and, or sin, and, and, and that of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when he died, not only gave you victory over death, but he gave you victory over sin. And so Romans 6 says, Do you not know that whom you offer yourself as a slave to obey, you are the one slave? You are the one slave to whom you obey, whether of sin leading unto death or of obedience leading unto righteousness. Because you don't have to. Because you responded at one time, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, okay, if you haven't, then you haven't done this. But assuming you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then there was a point in your life when you responded to, to His movement in your life through the Holy Spirit, and you gave your life to Him, and He took the sin and He eradicated it from you. And so now when you struggle with sin, it's because you choose to what? Go back to it. You don't have to. He wiped it out. He abolished it for you. The imputation of, of sin. But even more importantly, when that happened, there was then the separation from the Father. I think that's when Jesus was sweating as it was great drops of blood in the garden. Because, yes, he knew the physical pain. Yes, he knew the, the betrayals that was going to happen and the, and the mocking of the people. But I think that even more he understood that he who had been in the glory of the Father from all of eternity past, who was with the Father, holy, 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 who being with the Father, holy, 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 would now become sin. And at that moment, he would become what? Separated from the Father. And so when he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, he says, my God, my God, why is it? What has happened? Why is it? That's lama. Then sabachthani, you have deserted me, forsaken, left me alone, abandoned, 
use whatever shade of that you want to put in there. It's all the same concept. Dad! 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 That's what's happening. In this one moment, put yourself there. Have you ever been in that place where you felt like you were, you were without a, a Savior, if you would, that you were crying out to your mom and dad and you didn't know where they were? And you thought they had left you? I can't imagine what it would have been like for the eternal Son of God in that one of, of eternity to have a separation that he never had and never will have again. And I can't comprehend how that happened because I know the three are yet what? One. And yet within that one times one times one, which is one, there was a a line drawn of moment of separation. And yet it had to happen so that you and I could be saved. And in all that, Jesus conquered. In face of all that, Jesus conquered. And we read in John chapter 20, his final word in the Greek was tetelestai. It is finished. The word teleo means to be perfected or mature. Telelestai is used in a financial and business world um, back then to decree that something was totally paid for. It's like your house. You're paying your mortgage and you make your final payment. You receive the what? The deed. You can write out, cry out, Tetelestai. Nothing else ever needs to be paid. Nothing needs to be done. Jesus cried out, Tetelestai. It was completed. It was perfected. It was finished. You don't have to work at all for it. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is what Jesus said. What? Believe. Believe. He said, John chapter 6 says, this is the work of God that you believe. That you believe. That's all God wants you to do. You say, well, that's a work. If I, if I have to believe, then I've worked, and so therefore it's not of God. That's a bunch of bunk because that's of God because it's God's grace that formed the plan that we would be saved by His grace through faith. That we have to express faith. And that plan wasn't of ourselves. It was the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And so, if you're here today, and you've never done that, I challenge you. That's not the whole point of the message here for salvation, but I challenge you. If you're here today, today can be the day of your salvation. The day can be the day of your redemption. If you just cry out, receiving what he has done for you. And then we're told Jesus gave up the ghost. He gave it up willingly. It wasn't taken from him. He offered up his soul, his spirit to the Lord. So, though Satan sought to destroy the plan of God by causing Christ to sin, Jesus withstood the final trials. We're told in the book of Hebrews that he was tempted. The word is periosmos. He was tempted, tried, gone through troublesome situations in every way such as we are, yet he was without sin. And so as he did it, so can you. We can, as Christ withstood those trials, so can we withstand those trials because we have Christ in us. And so in 1 Corinthians 10.13 we're told, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common demand, but God is what? God is faithful 
who will not allow you to be tempted, tried, that's the word periosmos again, same thing as Jesus, who will not allow you to go through a troublesome situation beyond what you are able to bear. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so if you say, I can't bear up with it, then you say that God is what? Unfaithful. That's exactly right. God will not allow you to go through a troublesome situation that he will not give you the grace to get through. We struggle sometimes, don't we? I'm the, I'm the head of the class on that one. I mean, it's, it's a, I, I, I can grapple with things. But my God has continually said to me, you can do it. You can put up with this. You just have to what? Trust me. Look to me instead of looking to yourself. John 16, 33, Jesus left us a promise. He said, these things have I spoken to you in me that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is a promise. In the world you're going to what? You're going to have tribulation. It's a promise, but he's overcome it. Romans 8, 37, yet in all these things, all, you know, we can go through that whole passage, but in all those things that are coming against us, we are more than conquerors. We're hupronike. We're, we're the super victors. It's an awesome word. Through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. That's where the victory is going to come. Is through Jesus Christ. And finally, Jesus said in Matthew 10, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the air, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I know the fear of the Lord is not a New Testament thing. Tell the writers of the New Testament, okay? Jesus said, you want to overcome fear of man? You know what this planted with? Fear of God. <laughs> the fear of the God. Fear of God is what? Fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all these things, right? I mean, if you want, if you want wisdom, where do you go? Do you go to the Lord? And you go and understand that He is ultimately the judge that you're going to stand before. These guys who are earthly judges are nothing. Don't fear those who are able to destroy the body but can't do anything else. But rather fear for God. Listen, this is not a, a, a passage, this is not a message of failure and of, um, of loss. I see this as a passage of great victory. And there's a, there's a song, we'll, we'll pray after we sing. Um, there's a song that I want to sing, and I, it, it's not in, oh, I thought I hit that go to black. No, there we go. Um, that I can't find. In, uh, it was, it's in a, a book called Scriptures and Songs, and I don't have a copy of it. And I went on the web, and I can't find it anymore. But I found two places that have the words for it. So we're going to sing this. We don't have the music for it, so we're going to sing it a cappella, okay? And so if you know it, you can sing it with me. Um, and uh, it's a great song. It's, a, it's a, one of these fighting kind of songs, you know? And um, so we're going to sing through it together. So if you want, just stand with me because you can sing better with the diaphragms. It's 